Hi, I'm Rich Blinney, and you're listening to Healthcare Pulse. You know, the rapid shift of the consumer focus on healthcare has overwhelmingly increased the need for organizations to differentiate themselves from their competitors, including retail and tech sectors. In a time when patients often decide their provider of choice before they ever need to be seen, how does an organization engage their community to, an, to affirm their trustworthiness and results? My guest today is Huron Managing Director Craig Dio, author of The E-Factor, How Engaged Patients, Clinicians, Leaders, and Employees Will Transform Healthcare, a great book. Craig is a highly regarded national speaker on leadership, engagement, quality, and patient safety. He works with medical staffs and healthcare executives to create highly reliable organizations where employees want to work, physicians want to practice, and patients want to receive care. Welcome, Craig. Hey, Craig, how are you? Thanks, Rich. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. So, Craig, um, you know, I, I try to ask a question of, of our guests on the podcast to just kind of get a feel for who they are. And I kind of randomly mix the questions up, but I know you a little bit. So um, I know you're kind of a world traveler. So I, I kind of wanted to ask you this question. So uh, if you could pick one place in the world to be for a week and just hang out any place in the world, where would that be? Well, I guess I'll have to answer that with a two-parter. One is that the honest answer at the moment is home, because the more that you, as you know, Rich, the more that you travel out, the more that you really value days where you're able to be home with your family, taking the kids to school and picking them up and going to soccer practice. So sort of the mundane that other people take for granted, I really uh, treasure. Uh, that said, if it weren't here, uh, I think that most of the places I've been, the, the place is great, but it's the experience you have there that really makes it memorable. And so it's hard to bet against our honeymoon those 12 years ago in French Polynesia. In fact, we had to uh, read a book that was authored from some expats who relocated to that part of the world um, who had a terribly miserable existence living on a small little island just to remember that uh, we should come back at some point. And uh, that helped us. So uh, French Polynesia, when I'm uh, home for more than a few months, sounds good. But otherwise, uh, being right here is fantastic. Wow, that sounds like a great, I mean, either place sounds good. I know, like you said, traveling, it certainly is fun being home, but uh, French Polynesia sounds kind of cool to me. Did you do the whole, like, island thing where you, like, uh, have one of those things that were, like, kind of out in the middle of the ocean kind of thing, like those little exotic little huts or? Uh, we didn't have exotic little huts. Uh, we had, uh, <laughs> but we had a lot of fun. <laughs> Isn't that what they call them, exotic little huts, like ELH? I think uh, overwater bungalow is what you're going for. But Dude, I you're so point. fancy. I would see, and I would just call them exotic little huts. So, yes, I like that. Overwater bungalows. Let's make sure that that's what we call them for now on. So your book is, is fantastic, and it came out not that long ago. I've read it. Um, I love it. Everyone that I know that's read it loves it. Um, why did you decide to write this book? Well, you know, first, I'd never set out to write a book. Um, I, I know by watching you and others on our team who've authored more than one, how challenging it is. And so it took a long time before I decided to actually put pen to paper, but it was because I had so much deep-seated conviction on this issue. I had, for the past 20 years in this profession, seen this progression of how healthcare leaders were making a big switch of how they measure employee and uh, physician relationships to the organization. 20 years ago, they were focusing exclusively on satisfaction and most of were updating their measures to include measures of engagement because it better correlates with all the outcomes that we're looking for from those constituencies. 
And likewise, we are seeing a shift in how we are measuring the experiences of our patients, going from patient satisfaction 20 years ago to now measures around patients' experiences, how frequently they saw some evidence-based care practices happening. But I hadn't yet seen the move towards engagement. And those are really profoundly different measures. So, you know, we can talk about that a bit, about the differences between those. But uh, the reason I wrote the book was to help uh, show the consistency of why engagement is such a distinctively different measure than satisfaction, although they're both very valid, talk about how to improve those results, and how the similarities exist between employee, physician, patient, and leader engagement. At the end of the day, it's all about building trust. Well, and you know, you, you bring up a good point, because I, I don't know if, if you experience this, because I, I know you have, uh, you know, two wonderful kids, but, you know, sometimes, like, as a parent, when you have more than one kid, you find yourself when you're calling one, you're like just having a stressful day. You're like, you know, Richard, John, Bobby, Sammy, you know, you like yell them all out. And I kind of find that that happens with us in, in healthcare with satisfaction, experience, engagement. Like you'll be saying, you know, our, our patient engagement, I mean, I mean, satisfaction, I mean, experience. So um, just simply put for, for our listeners, how, what's the difference? Yeah, it's a great question. Too often people say we're working on uh, patient satisfaction when, in fact, they're trying to move something like HCAPS results, which is really an experience measure. And, you know, first, I help people understand by just looking at the questions that you're asking patients to respond to. Um, patient satisfaction surveys often have answers like very satisfied or very dissatisfied. The patient experience measures, CAPS, um, HCAPS, CGCAPS, et cetera, they're frequency questions. The response options aren't um, very satisfied or, sat or very dissatisfied. It's things like never, sometimes, usually, or always. So it's asking patients how frequently they saw some evidence-based practice that correlates with quality happen. Um, and neither of those, though, are the same as engagement. Patient engagement is about how likely I am to take control and ownership for my own health outcomes. And instead of a retrospective questionnaire about your experiences that you had or your satisfaction after you visited, it's prospective. It asks how likely I am to own my own health. It gives me uh, zero to 100 points, and it actually should help for, for um, it should help caregivers provide different care in the future more intensively if you're less engaged and uh, less intensively if you're more engaged. But probably the sharpest distinction between satisfaction and engagement: satisfaction is a measure of happiness to some extent. Engagement is about whether you're giving discretionary effort when nobody's watching. And mm. so often I help people understand from an employee standpoint, I can be highly satisfied because I work for you. Uh, I usually end the day at 5 o'clock, but today you let me leave three hours early so I can go to a school event with my boys. However, I'm, so I'm 100% satisfied with that, but I'm 0% engaged in my job that day. And that's how distinctive these are. I can be 100% satisfied and 0% engaged. So our language precision is really, really important to be distinct there. So kind of almost the way, at least it, it, the way that I perceive it, engagement seems almost more like a connection thing. Like it, engagement is almost got my own word, maybe not yours, but kind of a deeper meaning. It's, it's a, more of a connection. It's more of a, a more than emotional, it's connection. Does that, is that, am I on the right, the right path with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. It's measuring something very distinctively. Satisfaction is a one-way measure, and it answers the question, what did you do for me? You know, how, long, how much do I like that experience? Uh, engagement's a two-way measure. It's measuring what I'm giving back to that relationship. And so it's all about how I interact with you, my perceptions of whether we're peers or subservient to each other, um, you know, the role that I believe I play in this relationship. And so it's, it's very quite distinctive. 
I love that. So um, if I were to use a musical analogy, engagement is like a Luther Vandross love song and satisfaction is more Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> well done. <laughs> As only Rich Bellini could summarize. That's right? well done. So because you're so good at kind of breaking down this stuff, and I think some of the questions that we all have and that I know that come up around this topic, how do we even identify how to address people or when to address people as consumers versus when to address them as patients? And how does, how does the language change? You know, what, what's behind that? What do we do with that? Well, so it's a question that's really being played out in health systems across the country. I think there's a lot of places where patient is still the only used word, and, and I get the logic behind that. Um, probably in grad school over 20 years ago, I remember being in a health economics class when my, one of my physician colleagues challenged the economics professor, uh, asking him to substitute the word consumer with the word patient. So this was a healthcare class. And an economist said that he actually didn't view them as the same thing. And in fact, he said the difference between those two is simply how vertical you are at any given moment. Mm. And what he means by that is if I'm, uh, you know, if, if you're uh, treating me as your patient and I'm in front of you on the table, then all those things you learn in medical school are really critical. But if I'm walking downtown trying to decide whether I want to come to you, I'm a consumer or potentially non-consumer. Or if I'm trying to come to see you or your competitor, same thing. And if I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to take that medication you prescribe or not, those are all things that economics and behavioral psychology have a lot to teach us about how we can actually really improve health outcomes that are beyond the way that we typically think about the relationships with patients. I love that. And I, I love the whole concept of how, I mean, being a nurse and big into myself, yeah, you know, when somebody's uh, kind of laying down, they're definitely in a different situation than when they're walking down the street trying to figure out you know, which practitioner they want to go to or what organization. And, and that, you know, when you think about organizations and you think about healthcare is evolving, I remember we were in a meeting not so long ago and we were just talking about different things and I, I, I kind of jokingly brought up robotics and robots and we all kind of had a chuckle and then, then I became very good about sending like emails to you guys whenever there was an article about robots and healthcare. I mean, it's just so interesting to see how the landscape's changing and our, our industry continues to evolve. So now we've got you know, J.P. Morgan Chase and Berkshire Hathaway and Amazon, you know, getting involved in healthcare. When I think about Amazon, I wonder if they're going to have like Amazon Prime surgeries where you can have it right away and deliver it to your door immediately. But how do how do high performing organizations, uh, you know, kind of differentiate themselves so they don't get left behind or get so disrupted by these big players that are getting involved? What do we what do we even learn from what's co what's coming down the pike or what we're seeing? So first, your comment on ro robots absolutely has validity. There is robotic process automa automation that's changing the way that our whole revenue cycle flows on the back office pieces. And I was at Humber River Hospital in the Toronto area just two weeks ago, uh, largely viewed as the most digital hospital in North America. And when I went to the lobby to uh, do some wayfinding, there was an artificial intelligence-powered robot from SoftBank called Pepper, who talked to me, pointed me where I wanted to go, and we even uh, we had a little moment of dancing together. It's pretty nice. Um, but that organization, like many in healthcare, is highly digitally enabled. And so it's not just it's not that we're necessarily behind in some of this in terms of the wiring and the plumbing. We're getting there. Using the information is still where I think we have the greatest opportunities. And I think there's some real powerful lessons learned from some other uh, industries we could talk about that are further ahead about actually using some of that information. So. Give me an example of that. Well, probably the most incredible one 
that I heard about was the Target example where Target uh, was able to pretty accurately predict shoppers in their second trimester so that they can give them coupons to encourage them to buy things in the part of the store they're trying to uh, really promote. And they do that by looking at purchase, uh, purchase patterns. And if in the past you were buying, you know, very typical uh, products for somebody of your age and background, et cetera, and suddenly start buying prenatal vitamins and looking at the car seats online, that might be a good person to send a coupon to. And I often ask health systems, uh, you, you know, do you have that same predictive abilities and understanding of the, pers the people who are coming to receive health care in your communities? I'd rather the healthcare organization know that information than others, or in the interest of privacy, perhaps none. But um, even more than collecting that information, I really challenge healthcare organizations to think about how they're using the information they already have. We have a CEO at a health system who said, you know, we know who's likely to no-show for appointments based on history, but we don't do anything differently for them. And we ought to know which of our patients will have a hard time taking public transportation out to the cardiologist in the suburb, yet we never even think about that data point when we refer, and then we sort of wonder why they have challenges. So I think making use of the information that we have to deliver care differently is a good first step to build a muscle when we have all these bigger data analytics to be able to apply to even you know, more um, groundbreaking decision-making in the future. Yeah, it's pretty incredible what you think about it. I mean, I was, I was shopping with my, my eight-year-old. We were just looking online for this company that you could, a kid can build their own scooter, like they could pick their wheels and the handlebars. And we were just doing this, you know, through Google or whatever. And um, then I noticed within 24 hours, when I was scrolling through my Facebook page, all of a sudden these ads were popping up for scooters. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, surely that's not an accident, you know? So, <laughs> you know, just like you're saying, how interesting that, you know, when you think about it, if if I'm, you know, researching, you know, stroke rehabilitation for, for my, you know, elderly mother, or if I'm looking up pediatric orthopedics for, you know, my niece, um, you know, how great it would be to be able to have some of that, you know, be automated or, or, or provide me with some kind of insight. Yeah, and I think, um, I, I think there's a lot of power in that that can be helpful. Certainly, we're in this era where we're all trying to figure out the privacy Right. Uh, implications of that, and some people are certainly less comfortable than others with it. Sure. But I think the real key here is in the interest of helping the patient uh, manage and improve their own health, what kind of information should we be asking and using that we're not now? And I think there's a lot. For example, those, the patient activation measure, the PAM score, is I think a missing uh, uh, dashboard item for just about all organizations, um, except some that have a lot of financial risk to bear that are measuring that PAM score, which is the engagement uh, measure I mentioned earlier. Um, but that's the kind of new information that we need that will actually help us help patients be fully engaged in owning their own health care. I love it. What's, let me ask you, because as we start to kind of wrap up in the next couple of minutes, um, what's one thing you wish people knew more about this topic? And what's something that's out there that if you could delete <laughs> <laughs> or have people just kind of turn away from what would that be? And you could start with, with that, whichever one you want. But what's one thing that you wish people knew more about um, and, and how maybe they can find that out? And, and what's something you wish that was out there that, you know, you could send to Snopes and have them say inaccurate, not real? Yeah. Well, I think the thing I'm trying to help people with precision around is language. So, mm -hmm. you know, Wittgenstein says that we cannot enter any world for which you do not have the language. And so before we can really understand and master engagement, we have to be able to define it and speak it. 
And so understanding the distinctions between satisfaction, experience, and engagement are really critical. So that's how I'd answer the question about what I'd like to change. And what I'd like people to really know or be able to do differently is understand how to improve that. You, you can't change anybody. You can't engage anybody. But you can create an environment around people that supports their ability to engage, whether that person is an employee, a physician, a fellow leader, a patient, even a spouse or a child. And the good news is that the drivers behind that are the same. It's always about building a trusting relationship. And if you build trusting relationships, there's an incredible bedrock you can build lots of advanced uh, work upon. And so uh, if you've been working on patient satisfaction or patient experience or employee satisfaction or physician satisfaction, most of the practices that you've been doing there are also about establishing and building trusting relationships. And so it's not a matter of a whole other playbook now to address engagement. It's about refining the number of things you're doing down to the handful that drive the best uh, supportive uh, functionality into engagement. And so the eFactor book talks about that. Our website has a lot of information on it, and it'd be fun to connect with people on LinkedIn or whatever and, and talk more about uh, what you can actually do to move the needle. I love it. Craig, I just uh, I just want to say, you know, you make such a, a huge difference uh, everywhere you go. For those of you that are listening, if you ever have an opportunity to hear Craig speak at um, one of our Hero Group conferences or online or at your organization, don't miss it. Craig is really great at taking complicated processes, making them not only understandable, but uh, something that you feel that, you know, you walk out of listening to him talk and you, you know more about something, but you also understand it at a deeper level and you feel like you could do something with it. Your book um, is, is phenomenal. I'd, I'd recommend anybody that's that's interested in this subject read it. Um, I love it. And you even quote me in it, so maybe that's why I like it so much. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I just really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. I, I know that this is a subject sometimes people are kind of left scratching their head over, and it's it's really helpful. Um, thank you so much for, for having spent some time with us and, and for our listeners um, I'm very grateful to Craig that, that he was able to uh, kind of come come here and spend a little time in his exotic little hut and talk to us. So um, thank you, Craig, so much for being here. It's an honor. Thanks, Rich. Take care. You're welcome. So you've been listening to Healthcare Pulse, hosted by Rich Blinney, produced by Lindy Sykes. And our special thanks to our wonderful guest, Craig Dio, and all of our colleagues and collaborators at Studer Group in Huron. You can find more about our podcast and other episodes on Stitcher, iTunes, and studogroup.com. Have a great day.